Okay, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Special thank you to Isaac Romano, as always, for all of his hard work and the setup and the production and the uploading. So thank you so much to Isaac, and we should all continue to learn Torah together. Recently in South Florida, we've had an issue with strangers that don't seem to belong here, and they've been causing problems. Financial issues, uh, causing fear and anxiety. These strangers are called iguanas. <laughs> when we first moved to Florida, now about seven and a half years ago, we assumed in Florida you have lizards, you have iguanas, you have all sorts of tropical reptiles. Then we found out that iguanas are actually not indigenous to Florida. Really, they come from tropical places in Mexico and South America. And some smart guy had in mind to bring a pet, an iguana, from wherever he was coming from. And uh, he brought it with him to South Florida, let it loose. He figured, you know what, it could thrive here in this environment. And he was right. And they multiplied, and now we have millions of iguanas all over the state, and they're wreaking havoc. So there's a new, uh, new policy where people are encouraged to kill iguanas. If you find one in your yard, in your property, kill it. And for the teenage boys, that's something that's hard to do. But tzaruch mitzvah, l'shem shemayim. I think it's a wonderful example, though, where it looks like it fits. It, it's just like a lizard, a little bit bigger. But if it's not meant to be here, it may thrive in the short term, but not in the long term. This is not really its place. This is not its environment. And then when it gets a little bit colder than usual, I'm not going to say cold, but when it gets colder than usual, you see these animals drop dead from the trees. And it's a tragic sight. But it's because they don't belong here. So I'd like to explore this whole idea of being a stranger. Is being a stranger a good thing or a bad thing? Is that helpful for one's avodas Hashem and one's spiritual pursuits in general? Or is being a stranger something that can be harmful, it could be detrimental, it could hold me back? Obviously, everything in life is based on our perception. It's based on how I view the situation, how I view myself, how I understand my identity. And therefore, whether or not I feel like I fit in to a particular situation or a particular group, <coughs> can make all the difference in the world, both positively and negatively. So I'd like to explore the concept of being a stranger. I think it was Aristotle who said, people are strange when you're a stranger. Some, Jim Morrison, Jim Morrison Aristotle, one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that Moshe Rabbeinu has his two sons. And we're told back in Parsha Smos that he names his first son Gershom, Ki Omar Ger because he said, I was a stranger in a foreign land. The simple understanding of that 
is at this time in his life, he was no longer living in Egypt, and he was in Midian. He didn't belong here, this wasn't his country. So his first child, he names Gershom, which literally means, I was a ger, I was dwelling, or I was a stranger, Shom, over there. And then again, at the beginning of this week's Parsha, Parsha's Yisro, tells us that Yisro, the father-in-law of Moshe, takes Tzipporah, Moshe's wife, and his two sons, Shema Echad Gershom, the first was named Gershom, Ki Amar Ger Be'eretz again it explains the reason behind the name, because Moshe said, I was a stranger in a foreign land, V'Shema Echad Eliezer, and the second son was named Eliezer, which is really a combination of two words, Keli is my God, Ezer, Ezer is my help. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu said that a Kadosh Baruch Hu was there to help me and save me from the cherev, from the sword of Paro. So we have Gershom and we have Eliezer. What strikes you as kind of strange about the name Gershom? Is that a positive feel to it? When you're going to school and you're in the third grade, and your name is Gershom, because your father was a stranger in a foreign land, and your friends are not the nicest boys in the world, are they going to make fun of you a lot? Probably. Hey, stranger, how you doing? Gershom, what are you doing over there? Come here. With the last name Light, I get a lot of these, you know, so I'm used to the abuse. But the, the connotation, it seems somewhat negative. Moshe just has his first child, and instead of expressing his akarasatov, his feelings of gratitude, or, or even naming his first son Eliezer, which has a connotation of God being with him, his first son is Gershom. I was a stranger there. Why would he choose that name? What was the insight? What was the deeper meaning? What was the tefillah? What was the prayer that was somehow infused in that name? Obviously, Moshe had something very deep in mind. A second issue, which is somewhat technical, but grammatically speaking, both in Parsha Shmos and in Parsha Yisro, where it explains the reason behind the name, the Pasuk says, Ger ha'isi be'eretz nachriya, which literally means, I was a stranger in a foreign land. Moshe was naming his first son Gershom because now he was in a foreign land. Now he was living in Midian. He was no longer at home in Mitzrayim. That's where he was born and raised. So why would it say in the past tense, Ger ha'isi, I was a stranger in a foreign land? So what's the meaning behind the name? It sounds negative. It almost sounds like an expression of a complaint. Here I am in the middle of nowhere, a bunch of weirdos living in Midian, just want to be home. We'll name him Gershom. And the second issue is, grammatically speaking, why is it in the past tense, Ger Hayisi Be'eretz Nachiria? Yosef also went through many trials and tribulations as we know his life story, and his first son he names Menashe. Why does he name him Menashe? 
So the Torah tells us in Parshas Miketz, "Vayikra Yosef v'shem habuchar minasha ki nashani elokim es kol amali v'es kol beis avi." According to many of the commentators, this means because Hashem allowed me to forget all of the hardship, all of the abuse, all of the suffering that I went through, because now, Baruch Hashem, I see the Hashkacha Pratis, I see Hashem's hand guiding me and leading me, and in a sense, I'm able to move on because I now have a child, and that brings me so much joy. So, Menasha, I've forgotten the past. That's a name that rings true. That's a name that seems to be an expression of the Jewish mentality and outlook on life. We're positive. We see Hashem's intervention. We see Hashem's guiding hand. But Gershom doesn't sound like that. So I want to explore both the positive and the negative side of being a Ger, of being somewhat of a stranger. We know that when Yosef was first mentioned to Paro, and he was successful in interpreting the dreams, and then he was made the viceroy, he was put in charge of pretty much all of Egypt. Then, after a while, Yosef tells Paro that my family's coming into town. Looking forward, you'll get a chance to meet my father and my brothers. And the Pasuk says, V'yitav Paro, it was good in the eyes of Paro. He was happy to hear that. Why did he care? Why was he excited to meet the family of Yosef? So the Svorno tells us, because Paro thought as follows, until now Yosef has been amazing. He's wise, he's understanding, he has the political savvy, he's able to get us where we need to be. However, he doesn't feel at home. He, he views himself more as a ger. His identity is a stranger. I'm living in a place that's not really mine. My family's not here. Hashkachas Yosef al-Aretz lo ba'hashkachas ger manhig. But now Para was thinking to himself, with his whole mishpacha leaving Eretz Yisrael, the land of Canaan, and they're going to be moving here to Egypt and living together with Yosef. At this point, Yosef will now feel like a resident. He's going to feel like this is my place, this is my home team, and he's going to work harder and feel more committed. Obviously, Yosef was very committed beforehand. Obviously, he was trying his best to, to maintain the health and the vitality of the country. But Paro understood, and he was not a silly or stupid man, he understood that with Yosef's family being here, he's going to feel more at home, and he'll be able, therefore, to dig in deeper and accomplish more. That's the Hatzlacha. That's the success that we can have when we feel like we're part of a team, when we feel like we belong. I'm not just a visitor. I'm not just here on your turf and your territory, but this is my place, and we could work together to build something magnificent. So obviously, given the right environment, given the right circumstance and group, if I'm with people who are inspiring to me, if I can look around the room and, and constantly feel, Ashreinu matov chalkeinu, what an amazing opportunity that we have to be living with each other and, and growing together and learning together. That's the greatest thing in the world. Often we say in Hallel, 
well, not often, whenever we say Hallel, we do say that we thank Hashem for placing us with Nadive Amo, with the, the nobles of His people, with nobility, with royalty. What do we have in mind when we're saying that? So, what I had in mind many years ago, when I was in yeshiva, towards my, my first couple of years, I'd be saying Hallel, and looking around the room, right? hundreds of young men who were devoting their lives to learning and trying to come closer to Hashem. And I felt this really deep sense of Hakara Satov. Wow, thank you so much, Hashem, for allowing me to be with people who are so incredibly sincere. And I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. That's the way I feel every time I say Hallel here. If it's Yantif, if it's Rosh Chodesh, just an expression of our gratitude. Thank you, Akadosh Baruch Hu, for allowing us to be with such amazing people who are trying our best to push forward and come closer to you and come closer to each other. So that's the positive power of feeling like I belong. On the other hand, we also know that the influence of society, when it might not be congruent, it might not line up with Torah values, is, uh, is very powerful. And it's hard to avoid what the latest fads are, what the styles are, what's viewed as cool, what's viewed as acceptable, what's in, what's no longer in. I can't believe you're still wearing those small glasses. Right? That was so six years ago. Right? And now we're wearing the big glasses because we think that's really cool. But we're going to be looking back at pictures a few years from now I can't believe I was wearing those glasses. Right? The tie, it's way too skinny. I can't believe you're wearing that tie. Right? Well, the tie is way too big. But somehow we just get sucked into whatever is considered normal. I'll give you an amazing example that I always find uh, very interesting. The Shulchan Arach and Simon Shin Gimel, where it goes through the different types of jewelry that women are allowed to wear on Shabbos when there's no Eruv. Is it considered hotzah? Am I in violation of caring? Or is it viewed as a tachshit? It's, uh, it's just part of me. It's adorning the, uh, the begid. And therefore it's not considered caring. So the Shulchan Aruch speaks about a case of a very tight necklace that women would have around their neck. Why would they have it so tight? Because it would squeeze the chin area in order to make it look like you're a balas basa, that you have more flesh, because that was attractive, right? So nowadays it's about how to lose 10 pounds. In those days, right, you'd open up any magazine. I could make you look 15 pounds heavier in just a couple of hours if you follow these three easy steps. That was considered attractive. Somebody told me back in Russia 60 years ago, we're not talking about ancient history, Anyone who was considered skinny, they were viewed as unhealthy. They're sick. Nebuch. Right? A balbosser. That's true when it comes to styles, but it's also true when it comes to morality. What we view as acceptable, what we view as, as yashros, as the straight and narrow path. What's, what's okay and what's not okay? What's good and what's not a good? The Rambam tells us that one example of the violation of not to follow or not to emulate the ways of the non-Jewish world 
As he says, we know that when the Jewish people were going into the Eretz Canaan, to the land of Eretz Yisrael, they would be exposed to a lot of new customs and pagan ritual. And at first it would be jarring, it would be shocking, but eventually that becomes the way of life, and it's almost hard to remind yourself, this doesn't represent my hashkafa. So he says one example would be, Mahayu osim, you look around and you ask, what are they doing? Ha'ish no se'ish, ve'isha no sa'as isha. Right? The definition of marriage is totally different. Isha no se'lishnei noshim. If this is what's normal, if this is what's done, eventually this becomes acceptable, and this is, and this is something that everyone else does, it's okay. So we're super influenced by society, both in style, but even more problematic in morality. So what do you do? How can you escape? So the Rambam says something that at face value doesn't sound so realistic. And we'll have to see whether or not we could apply this to our lives. He says, if we find ourselves in an environment where the people are not following the Derech HaTorah, right? humanity as we know it, they're not, they're not along the guidelines of Torah. Kamoz Manenu, just like we have nowadays. And he was talking in the 1100s. O she'enu yochel aleches l'medina shemin ha'goseha tovim. So obviously if you could leave and go to a different country or a different area, then go for it. But if that's not possible, either because travel is difficult or there are concerns along the road, then Yeshev Levado Yechidi, the Rambam says, you should live alone. Live a life of seclusion. But don't be in a society where they're not doing things appropriately. That's only true, though, if they allow you to live and mind your own business. But let's say you're in a place where they're not okay with the way you choose to live your life. They're not okay with the way you choose to understand what's moral and what's problematic. So then the suggestion of the Rambam is, Then run into the forest. right? Go into the, the midbar. Go to the desert. Live a life of isolation where there's nobody around you, but don't be caught dead in a place where people are not doing the right thing. So what does that mean, halacha lemaisa, practically speaking? Where can we possibly go? We're not going to be influenced with social media, with technology. We could be in the middle of the midbar. We could be living in the forest and it's still not going to help because we still have exposure to everything. So the Chazanish said that one application of this concept of the Rambam would be even if we can't leave, geographically speaking, we're not going to pick up and go because it's just not, not a real possibility. There is such a concept of leaving psychologically. Living here, not as a Toshav, not as a resident, but as a Ger, as a stranger. Here we have an example where feeling or identifying as a stranger can actually be beneficial. 
because I don't need to be totally brainwashed by society. I'm not going to allow myself to be swept along the current of whatever other people are assuming to be acceptable, are claiming to be moral, or trying to convince me to do X, Y, and Z. I don't have to be with everybody else. The only way I could stop myself from that automatic brainwashing process is only if I view myself as a gear. I'm a stranger. I don't really belong here. I could appreciate many elements about the place I live. We could appreciate freedom and tolerance for religion. We could appreciate human beings of all walks of, 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 of religion and background and race. But not every hashkafa, not every ideology that's out there that becomes popular do we have to incorporate into our lives. To live as a ger is one of the only ways to maintain your own sense of yashras, your own connection with Torah values. This, I think, is the deeper meaning of what Yaakov was sending to Esav. He sends a message to Esav, Im lovin garti v'taryag mitzvah shemarti. I was living with Uncle Lovan for all this time, but you should know that I was still keeping the mitzvahs. And I didn't learn from his negative ways. And so all, all he actually says is that I was staying with Uncle Lovan. How does Rashi know, besides the gematria of Garti being the same as Taryag, but how does Rashi know from the Pasuk itself that there is any indication that Yaakov was really telling Esav, I kept the mitzvos and I didn't learn from his evil ways. And why did Yaakov have to say that double expression? If, if I'm telling you I kept the mitzvos, what is the point of adding I didn't learn from his backwards ways. Obviously, I kept the mitzvos. Love and didn't. So I think the idea here is, is that Yaakov was telling Esav, Im lovin garti. I was a ger. I was a stranger with love in all of these years. You shouldn't think conceptually or psychologically, I ever allowed myself to feel like I belong here with Lavan. I was never living here as a Toshav, as a resident. I was always Garti, I was just a stranger. And that's how I had the ability not to learn from his ways and to keep on doing the mitzvos. But his point was, not only did I do the mitzvos, not only did I stay away from the Averos, but lo lamadati, even in his hashkafa, even in his outlook, even in his worldview, I didn't allow myself to pick up anything from him because I was a ger, because I viewed myself as a stranger. It's an incredible phenomenon that we as Orthodox Jews living in America and many places throughout the world, it's very possible at this time in history to be fully committed to taryag mitzvos, to doing what I should be doing and to avoiding what I should not be doing. But the second part of the statement, I didn't pick up anything from that culture. I didn't allow the mindset of Lavan or his ways of doing business, or his ways of speaking to people, 
or his ways of cutting corners, I didn't allow that to impact me at all. We live in a time where we could be Taryag mitzvah shemarti Jews, we could be doing the mitzvahs, but it's very, very difficult to say, velo lamadati, and I'm not learning from the outside world, I'm able to keep my machshav, I'm able to keep my, my perspective and my outlook and my worldview, a true, authentic Torah worldview. It's a very difficult thing to do. The only way we can possibly do it is by saying, im lovan garti, that I never allowed myself to identify as really belonging here. I'm a stranger. We're all strangers. So I think this is one beneficial aspect of viewing ourselves as strangers. And the truth is we're getting it a little bit deeper now. Mrs. Ziggin, when you scuba dive and you want to go a little bit deeper, do you have to adjust the uh, oxygen? How does that work? <laughs> okay, so we'll take a big deep breath, okay? Take a drink of water. <laughs> I can see a good muscle there. We have to think about that more. A scuba diving muscle. So feeling like I belong in a positive setting is obviously very helpful. I could accomplish so much more. Regarding the dangers of being influenced by society and style and fads and morality, viewing myself as a ger, as a stranger, is a very healthy thing to do and perhaps the only true way to maintain an authentic Torah perspective on life. There's a deeper level of Gerus. The Torah tells us in the beginning of Parshas Kedoshim, we're very familiar with this, that we have a mitzvah of Kedoshim to you, that we're commanded to be holy people, not just good, not just considerate, not just generous, but holy people. How do we become Kedoshim? So the Ramban famously tells us, based on Midrashic sources, Kedoshim to you means Purushim to you. You should be separated. To be Poresh means I'm going to step away. Step away from what? From everything. From indulgence in this world. From addiction in this world from being overly obsessed with things of this world. Kedoshim to you to really live up to the mandate of being a holy nation and holy individuals, there's a requirement to be purushim, to allow ourselves to maintain a level of separation between who we are as individuals, as a neshama, and the physical world around me. And this is a very subtle point, and this could be misunderstood. We very much believe in the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed many different types of pleasures in this world. And the goal of those pleasures are not just to be avoided. The goals of those pleasures are to enjoy them in the confines using the guidelines of Torah. So we don't believe that just because something is physical or just because something feels good or just because something tastes good it's by definition bad. To the contrary, this is an expression of Hashem's love. 
Every time we say a bracha, say a bracha after drinking water, after having an apple, I remember one time I was actually on a Shabbaton. I was probably in my early 20s, and I was in Eretz Yisrael, and there was an Israelite Shabbaton. And there was a whole group of probably 20 or 30 people just becoming more acquainted with Judaism, and I was sitting at a table with a few people, and I said this bracha achrona, after drinking a glass of water. And uh, one of the ladies asked me the question, can you translate what you just said? So I got really nervous for a second, <laughs> hopefully. So I started thinking about the words, and I was translating them. nefashos rabos, that Hashem creates many creatures, and everything that we're lacking, everything that we need to survive, Hashem gives us in order to keep on living. And everything else, even though we may not need it. This is how Tosas explains what the bracha means. Even though it's not bread and water, it's more than the staples of our existence, but Hashem created apples and oranges and peaches and mangoes because He loves us. And she did this after hearing the translation of the bracha. She paused for a moment, and then... <laughs> and you say that after drinking or eating anything? I said, yeah. And you really have that in mind as you're saying the bracha? And I said, no. <laughs> but it is pretty cool when I think about it. <laughs> So although we're definitely not against Olam Hazeh, we love Olam Hazeh, in order to be kadosh, in order to be holy, we can't allow ourselves to become addicted. We can't allow ourselves to become entrenched. We can't allow ourselves to become obsessed. Ramosha Feinstein actually in a often quoted shuva regarding the issue of smoking marijuana. What is the halachic status of marijuana? So he speaks about five different reasons why he strongly discourages using marijuana. One of the reasons, though, besides the issue of what he calls mekalkalhu es hadas, that it can be devastating to the mind, ve'enem yecholim lahovim dover Oshro, to the point where I don't have the same capacity, I don't have the same ability to understand something with the clearness of mind that I had before, and that could impact every aspect of my avodas Hashem, my learning Torah, my davening. But more than that, he says, You're causing yourself to have a new taiva, a new desire, a new need for something you didn't need before. And this is something more, it's more intense, it's more of a, of a draw than the natural taiva we have for eating, which we need to have in order to survive. And it gets to a point very quickly that if this is my escape, this is my way of feeling better. This is my way of leaving my own reality. 
I'm creating new taivas, new desires, new necessities that are shackling me down, that are chaining me more to Olam Hazeh. If you don't need this, don't create a new desire, don't create a new addiction. Purushim to you, in order to be Kadosh, we need to allow ourselves to have some level of separation, some level of discipline. What is the outcome of that lifestyle? besides probably being healthier both psychologically and physically, the outcome is when we leave this world. Not only in Olam Hazeh, but even in the transition of Olam Hazeh. What is the process of dying like, says the Gemara in Brachos? When the Neshama is actually leaving the body, what, what takes place there? So the Gemara says there's something called a Misa Shel Nashika. It's a death through a kiss, a kiss from Hashem. That's the greatest type of Misa, and that's a transition that we should daven for. That when our time comes to leave this world, it should be a Misa of Nashika, a kiss from Hashem. And the analogy the Gemara gives us is it's just like Mishchal Benisa Mechalva taking a hair out of milk. It's so easy. The hair is right here. I'm just removing it from the milk. It's not stuck into the honey. It's not buried under sand and, and mud. Just taking the hair from the milk. HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows the neshama to leave the body. That's a misa of neshika. Reb Dessler explains, how is one zocha to a death like that? How does one achieve a Misa Shel Nashika? So he says it depends on how we lived the rest of our life in this world. How attached, how dovik, how connected am I to Olam Hazer? How much am I viewing it as this is my residence, I'm a Toshav here, and I can't get enough of it. And my addictions are constant, and I can't pull myself away. The more gosh me I've created myself, the more of a physical being I've transformed myself into, the more I've allowed my goof, my body, to take over and dominate the neshama, it's going to be harder to make that transition. It's not going to be taking the hair out of milk. But the more of a spiritual being I allow myself to be, the more light that's radiating from the neshama, that's transforming and uplifting the goof. The less of that connection I have with olam hazeh, I appreciate this world, I say brachos in this world, I derive pleasure from this world, and I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the amazing pleasures that He put here for us to enjoy, but I don't have that same addiction, I don't have that same obsession. Then when it's time to leave this temporary reality, it's very smooth. It's a smooth transition. And it's not just a transition from this world to the next world, but even more so, it's my appreciation and my experience in the next world. What's Olam Haba going to be like? Unfortunately, the answer is, we have no clue. Right? The Gemara says, the times of Mashiach, we have prophecies, and we have different indications, and psukim, and drushas, but Olam Haba, Ayin Lo Rasa, the eye has never seen it. 
The world that's totally spiritual, we can never explain in words. However, the Gemara tells us that Rav used to say as follows. Murgala bepume de Rav. That expression means it wasn't something he said once or twice. Murgala bepume. This is something he said all the time. This was his go-to phrase. What was it? Lo ka'olam hazelam haba. This world is not like the next world. Olam haba ein bo lo achila v'lo shtiya v'lo pira The next world has no eating or drinking or procreation v'lo masel matan. There's no business v'lo kina v'lo sina v'lo sachros. There's no jealousy, there's no hatred, and there's no competition. That's what he used to say all the time. And the Pnei Yeshua, one of the greatest commentaries on the Gemara in the 1700s, he was bothered by the question, why was this Morgala Bapume Darav? Why was this something he said all the time? The other examples we have in the Gemara of Morgala Bapume Darav or somebody else, it was more of a, of a Musar Haskel, of a lesson that we could take home and apply, a way to live life. Rav's statement was more of just a philosophy. He's defining, he's describing what the next world is and what it's not. But why was that Morgala Bafirav? What was the point of sharing that? So the Pnei Yeshua says, Rav's point was, I'm not here just to tell you what the next world is. I'm here to help you feel some level of hechrich, some level of urgency. When I realize, or at least I make it more true to myself, that my eternity is not here, that I'm visiting this planet, this reality, just for a couple of years, but the nitzchias, the eternity of my existence, will be in a realm where all of those physical things really mean nothing. And that whole exposure, that whole connection with Hashem and the Shekhinah, that's all something that's so incredibly sublime. How will you appreciate it then? By developing some of those spiritual sensitivities right here and now. Morgala Bapume Dirav, he would say all the time, don't forget what the real world is. Right? This is a temporary stop along the way. In order to really enjoy Nitzchias, to really gain from eternity, you have to start making yourself more of a sensitive being to appreciate those types of pleasures those types of nuances. And you could take a child to a museum. I still have nightmares of going to the museum with my father and my stepmother. And they're probably going to be watching this video at some point, and I apologize. <laughs> but they had more of a sophistication, and they could stand there looking at one painting for 15 minutes. And I would be pulling out my hair. Right? This is torture. I would rather be licking sand than standing here and looking at this painting. So you could have two people in the exact same experience and some are looking at it, wow, this is unbelievable because they have a sophistication, they, they've developed their, their sensitivities to the point where this actually means something. But somebody else coming from a whole different background, it, this is not Gan Eden, this is not heaven. That's why it was Murgul of Pumedirav. So that's really the next level of becoming a Ger, is the realization that even in this world, I don't have to feel so connected. 
I don't have to feel like I belong here because I really don't. And when I'm able to cut off some of those needs and obsessions and, addic and, and addictions, I become a much happier person. But there's one more step, right? A little bit deeper, and I think this might be the deepest level, at least we'll explore tonight, of gerus, of becoming a stranger, of identifying as a stranger. <clears throat> David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, Geranochi Eretz Ba'aretz Al-Taster Mimeni Mitzvah I am a stranger in the land. Don't hide your mitzvos from me. I am a stranger in the land. Don't hide your mitzvos from me. Don't keep them away. What is the connection between being a stranger and davening to Hashem not to keep the mitzvos hidden? So the Malbim explains that the intent of David HaMelech was actually he was saying, the essence of who I am, my neshama tahara, my pure soul, doesn't come from this world. I'm really from a different universe. I'm from a different dimension of reality. I don't belong here. I'm not indigenous to olam hazeh. It happens to be, for these few years, I, my neshama, I'm living with physical things, with a body, with the world as we know it. And the physicality of my present existence is keeping me somewhat in a state of confusion. There's a fog, there's a lack of, of behirus, of clarity, because I have all these physical barriers. And therefore, my tefillah, my prayer to you, says David HaMelech, is because ger nochi ba'aretz, because I'm only a stranger here in this world, al taster mi meni mitzvosecha, don't hide your mitzvos from me, still give me the ability to somehow transcend and, and pierce through all of the fog, all of the gashmias, and embrace you and your Torah. That was the prayer of David. So the ultimate Understanding or identity of being a stranger means not just, I don't belong in this culture. America 2020, although it has many wonderful things, there are many, many things, both in style and morality, that, that doesn't appeal to me at all. So I'm a gear. It means more than that. And it means more than I'm a gear, that I'm not going to allow myself to get too into Gashmias, and I can pull myself away, I'm not going to get addicted. Says David Amelech, I'm a gear in the ultimate sense. Just like the iguana has no business being in South Florida, <coughs> I and the Shama Tahor, I have no business being here in Olam Hazeh. Why am I here? HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a plan. We're here to do mitzvot, we're here to accomplish, but I don't really belong here. Somebody told me there is a picture, probably went viral by now, of a from man traveling to China. And he took a picture of the plane where there was nobody else in it besides him. Now why in the world would any sane person be traveling to China right now? One answer might be, he's not a sane person, I don't know who it is. But I think the real answer was, it was for business. There was a real tzarech, there was a real need, he had to go there to, to do something, otherwise there would have been a major loss financially. So, uh, hope to God, get that really cheap fare to China and get a great picture of nobody else being on the plane. 
So imagine the experience. You get to China. I'm sure you have your connections there that are going to meet you at the airport. As soon as you get there, even walking off the plane, you have the mask on. <coughs> they bring you first into a private area. They hose you off with something. And then throughout your entire trip there, you're in seclusion. They're keeping you away from everybody else. You have your private car that was cleaned thoroughly before you go inside of it. You're, you're kept in this little bubble, this little isolation bubble. You feel like a complete stranger. You don't speak the language. You feel like you don't belong there, which you don't. Everyone's walking around covered from head to toe, and you're afraid to touch anything because it could kill you, chas v'shalom. And then you have this one person who's making it his business, right? It's his job to be your guide. And he's going above and beyond what he needs to be doing, and he's helping you, and he's comforting you, and he's giving you food and drink, and he's making sure everything is clean and sterile for your time in China. How do you feel towards that person? You love him tremendously. Right? You have a lot of gratitude. But your whole time there, you definitely don't feel like you belong. Says the Chovos Halavavos, the Rebbeinu B'chaya. This is in the Shar Cheshben HaNefesh, the 30 different meditations. This is the last of the 30, one of the most powerful, where he says in source number 16, we should view ourselves in this world as that person visiting China. Just like somebody going to a foreign land where nobody recognizes you, you don't speak the language, you don't know the currency, you're just there for a short time because you have to be there. In that situation, you would be ready to go on a dime. You're not getting entrenched. You're not going to be distracted by all the, uh, the glitz and glamour. I'm here, I'm doing what I need to do, and I'm out, and hopefully, God willing, I just stay healthy. And given that situation, says there had been a Bechaya, I'm going to realize that there's nobody here who could really help me or hurt me. I'm alone, I'm living in isolation. And if there's someone who's taking care of me, I feel endless gratitude towards that person. I do have a love of other people because I realize they're gerim here, just like me. Right? The mitzvah of loving the ger is so deep. It's a realization that we're all gerim here in the most real sense, in the ultimate sense. And therefore, just like I'm in a place where I don't belong, you're also in a place where you don't belong. We all come from that other world, that world of neshamas, and we're here together on a short journey. And therefore, even in a sense, I feel more isolated, but I also feel more connected with you. I feel more alone because I don't belong here, but I also feel alone together with you because we're both alone. We both don't belong here. He says, if we have this view of life and our existence in this world, then competition doesn't mean much to us. Jealousy will not overwhelm us. How I'm doing financially will not make or break me because I know I don't really belong here. Politics will not be the source of every conversation that we have. I'm not going to get as excited about my team winning and I might actually get more excited about something that's meaningful. 
the latest gossip is not going to be nearly as juicy because ultimately, I don't really care. This is not my place. That says the Chovas Levavos, that should be our mindset every step we take in this world. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu name his son Gershom? It sounds like he's complaining. It sounds like it's, a, it's an expression of negativity. Eliezer is such a holy name. Where does Gershom come from? Why in the past tense, Ger Hayisi? It wasn't that you were a stranger. You are a stranger now in Midian when you're naming your son Gershom. Says the Orachayim and later on in history, the Chafetz Chaim, Zichron and Levracha. They said Moshe Rabbeinu was saying as follows. Ger Hayisi, I have always been a Ger. In the past tense, throughout my entire existence here on planet Earth, the only way I, I've, I've been allowed to thrive and stay true to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and true to the, to the Torah, even living in the, in the Makom Tumah, that place of impurity in Mitzrayim, in Olam Hazah, in this physical existence, is because I've always had that identity. I don't really belong here. This is not my place. Ger Hayisi, I've always been a Ger. And therefore, I want to name my son Gershom. Not because I feel bad that I'm a stranger here in Eretz Midian, but because it's my heartfelt prayer that my son should grow up as a spiritual giant, as a master of his neshama, allowing the neshama to uplift the goof and not be subdued and destroyed by the goof. That was the tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Chafetz Chaim in the Torah Sabayis shares with us a, a famous marshal. This marshal always reminds me of a game show. I forget the name of the show. Probably 1970s, 80s, where everyone was given a shopping cart and you'd have two minutes to fill it up and the person who had the most food that was worth the most amount of money... <laughs> Supermarket sweep. <laughs> okay. Chaim is always there. <laughs> all aspects of trivia. That's unbelievable. So you have three people. They're all lined up with their shopping carts. And the buzzer rings. And they start running frantically down every single aisle. And there is a whole chachma. There is a whole science to the game. You would go to the more expensive areas first. Get the meat and the chicken and the, the, the deluxe cheeses. The wine. So you have two minutes and you're rushing down the aisle. Says the Chafetz Chaim, although he's not referring exclusively to supermarket sweep, but he says, if someone was to approach you, right, when one minute and 12 seconds, and you just have less than a minute left, and they say, quick, 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 check this out. Look at the latest tweet from Trump. Read that. What do you think he meant? Right? What do you think Pelosi was doing when she... Uh, who won last night? Are the Lakers going to go all the way this year? Now, I'm not putting any of these things down. Because all of these things can be good, kosher outlets. You want to schmooze about politics. You want to follow sports. Kola kavod, it's all good. But in this particular situation, where you know you have two minutes, says the Chafetz Chaim, what are you going to do? Are you going to politely say, excuse me, I just have to get some more produce? <coughs> no. You're going to yell at the guy. 
You're going to say, get out of my way. I got to get more food inside here because I need as much produce and chicken and everything else as possible. I want to win this game. I want to be the champion of supermarket sweep. Says the Chafetz Chaim in his brilliant way. Korega verega sha'ata omed lenegdi ata mavsidani. You're going to tell this person, every moment you're standing there bringing me down, wanting to share the latest gossip or anything else, you're making me lose. I don't have much time here. I have to go. I love you, but I don't have time to speak about this. He says, the nefesh moshavo l'malad b'tzvarachayim, we know the real home of the neshama is nowhere close to here. Ach kadeish but in, however, in order not to derive pleasure from Hashem, the Kabbalistic terminology is nama dikisufa, to have bread of, uh, of embarrassment, we have to somehow deserve that connection. We have to become more godlike ourselves, like the Derech Hashem speaks about at length. So we're placed here in this world for a limited time. We have that, that, that shopping cart for two minutes. Alzman muat. And he says, therefore, if anything is going to bring you down, if anything in your life is going to distract you, is going to cause an obsession that will take you away from your goal, is going to cause an addiction that's going to harm you psychologically, is going to distract you in any way, shape, or form, you have to yell at yourself. Stop it! I can't allow myself to be getting into this. I can't allow myself to be spending so much time replaying that conversation in my head and telling myself what a terrible person she is. Get over it and move on. There's so much to accomplish and there's so little time, man. You got a lot to do here, says the Chafetz Chaim. Now we could understand why Moshe Rabbeinu named his son Gershom. That was the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu. I want you to realize what is your obligation in this world? Don't be fooled. Don't fall into the illusion. Realize you're a ger. And by being a ger, by living with that identity, we could thrive in a way that we've never thrived before. We could love people in a way that we've never loved before because we're all gerim here. We all really don't belong. We're not really indigenous. We should be Zoha to, to just like David Melech to turn to Hashem and say, I am a ger, and therefore don't hide your mitzvos from us. Allow us to appreciate them and see through all of the fog and embrace you and embrace your Torah. Sure.